Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from Davos. I'm Gideon Rachman, prowling the corridors of the World Economic Forum. And a couple of minutes ago, in the coffee bars, I tracked down a leading trade expert, Professor Richard Baldwin of the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Switzerland. Richard, we are here in Davos where one of the big issues has been trade. You've had a succession of international leaders, from Modi at the opening day to Macron yesterday, and we're now talking on Thursday, coming up and saying we're in favour of open trade, we're in favour of globalisation. The big bad monster, Donald Trump, is speaking tomorrow about trade. So how worried do you think people are and how worried should they be about the integrity of the global trading system? I don't think it's something that's going to collapse overnight, but there are some worrying signs. So when Trump was elected last year, some of the things he said could have created a kind of a backlash and a protectionist trade war, but we've gone through a whole year without much that had happened bad. The only thing concrete is to really move from TPP. But going forward, he could withdraw from NAFTA, which would lead to retaliation. The Chinese may retaliate against some of his tariffs. And more subtly, the U.S. is undermining the appellate body, which is the international court in trade, which arbitrates things. And, and so they're blocking At the World judges. Trade Organization. At the World Trade Organization. They're blocking judges. And so pretty soon the court will have difficulty operating. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that because... That's really the heart of the global trading system, the World Trade Organization. So just explain this process of blocking the appointment of judges and what happens if the appellate court can't function. Does that mean effectively the WTO can't arbitrate trade disputes? Uh, No, I don't think the system will collapse. The blocking the judges is uh, there's sort of an informal allocation across different countries and regions, but as with everything in the WTO, is consensus. So the U.S. has blocked what would normally have been quite routine replacement of judges. Because they rotate in and out, so they have terms, fixed terms. Yes, seven-year terms, and when the seven-year terms up, usually they get replaced, and they're objecting to something that is a technicality, but basically they're blocking it. Now, this is the appellate body. Most of the work is done by panels, which is sort of a little bit like the lower court, and that helps with moderation. And lots of stuff gets sorted out even before it goes to the court. But the existence of the court helps that. The appellate body is at the very end. and It's, it's like it, the Supreme Court of Trade, is Right, it? like the Supreme Court. But all at the end, all it does is say this party was right, and if they want, then they can retaliate against the other party. So they sanction retaliations, which then don't often happen. So if that whole thing disappears, we can still have the panel, which will settle some facts and act as a fair broker and a moderator to solve a huge number of things, but the most contentious things won't. Now, what that means is we revert to the world before the WTO, which was before 1994, when we only had gap panels and there was no appellate body. And, you know, the world continued on. You just didn't use this Supreme Court to settle certain things. It ended up being more like a might-makes-right sort right. of thing, and we will go back towards that And, world. of course, I think Trump 
rather likes Mindvex, right? Very, very much so. And there's a more subtle point is that in the next couple of years, it may be that there's not enough judges to sit in something against the EU or the US because your own judge can't be on it. And therefore, the appellate body will work for everybody except the US and the EU. It's kind and, of important. That would be a problem. So, yeah. And more broadly, I mean, the Americans seem to be back to, maybe they never left it, but really tough rhetoric on trade. So when Wilbur Ross was asked yesterday, the US Commerce Secretary, well, is there a trade war You know, in the offing? He said it's already underway and all that's changed is America is sending its troops to the ramparts. Yeah. Is that just talking tough or is there real reality behind it? I think mostly it's talking tough. Or I'm willing to be proved wrong. There's a few things coming up which we'll have to see what happens. NAFTA, for example, is a huge thing. But the, the way I like to think about it is U.S. trade policy is not the outcome of a presidential announcement here or there. It's a hard-fought internal political battle among special interest groups inside the United States. And they're the ones that have aligned so far to keep Trump from doing something really bad. And that, I think, is the key. So the special interest groups, the people who don't want really to fight with China, they want to import, they want to export. The CEO of Cargill, for example, was sitting right next to Wilbur Ross at this panel yesterday, and he was saying, you know, we like NAFTA, we like WTO, we need that to trade. And so that kind of political control of Congress is, and it's Congress who controls the trade policy ultimately, who I think will discipline them. It's cheap to talk tough. And then they do these things like safeguard tariffs, which are perfectly legal. So, so far, everything they've said is just talking tough. And I don't think American business will let them do more. Because of the interconnectedness of business, it's a different world than it was before. Tariffs don't protect, they destroy now in a world of supply chains. So that's in a way rather reassuring that it's all theatre, unless, as you say, NAFTA's a big one. But what about, I mean, do you think there is some legitimacy or justice to Trump's complaints, particularly about China? Because you hear Western multinationals say similar things, you know, in the world in which, for example, data is more and more the centre of commerce, the fact that China has the great firewall, (coughs) that its own big data companies are growing up behind that, that Google is kept out for political reasons, is a form of protectionism. So it reminds me of what Japan was doing in the 70s and 80s was using very carefully crafted domestic policies to give their companies a competitive advantage. And uh, China is doing similar things. Now, some of that is unfair, some of it's not unfair. But the rules, in essence, weren't made for state-led capitalism. They were made for market-led capitalism. And so the WTO has a trouble dealing with China. So I think the way that the U.S. should deal with that is dealing directly with China. Trump, for example, last year tried to start this dialogue with them, and that didn't go anywhere. So that's probably how they should be dealing with it. So I think, you know, China is doing some things which are, I don't think, directly breaking the rules, but certainly stretching some of the rules. But many countries are, including the United States. So it's business as usual. Everybody's accusing But the the Trump administration has gone as far as to suggest that it was a mistake to ever let China into the WTO, which is quite a radical statement. I don't know what the implications of that are. I think it's just basically misinformed, completely misinformed. When China came into the WTO, they made a huge number of concessions that opened up to investment and business and, and lowered their tariffs and committed to a set of rules. They completely changed the way they were playing. 
And so all this development of China has been within a set of rules that's universally agreed. Without Give me an example of the kind of rule or concession they had to make. Well, so for example, when I was in the Bush senior administration and we were getting our first complaints about China, they had secret regulations on imports. So American company would show up with goods at the port and they're willing to pay the tariff and then all of a sudden the customs officer would say, well, there's secret regulation number one. Can I see it? No, it's secret. Yeah. And so it was just trans basic transparency like that. And then also the fact that they're locked into tariffs, so the tariffs couldn't go up and down arbitrarily. It was you know, MFN, and they lowered them after that. So, you know, once it gets inside, the country has to be treated from taxation like every other product. So those kinds of basic fair play rules China has adopted. And actually, people have been exporting lots to China. China imports have been expanding almost as fast as their exports. So that's why it's just deeply disinformed to say, if we had kept them out, we would have kept all of our manufacturing jobs. That's just a hallucinatory misunderstanding of what the world would have been like without China and the WTO. Mm. But if I were to just to try and summarize our conversation, it seems to me that you're partly saying calm down, that you know Trump's going to sound ferocious tomorrow, but that beneath it there is a, such a complicated international system of commerce that it's actually even the U.S. president, if he tries to take an axe to it, may find he doesn't get very far. Right. When I went to Mexico in January and we were worried about these sorts of things, my advice was everybody take a deep breath, wait, let's see what happens. Now, if the president of the United States has some arbitrary powers, but under the Constitution, the real power to control trade is in Congress, and Congress has delegated to him. So just to take NAFTA, for example, he can say we're withdrawing because it's a treaty. But that doesn't automatically undo all the legislation that implemented NAFTA. Congress would have to do it. And then that probably would not get a majority to do that kind of bold thing. So I think what we have to worry about is if he starts putting on tariffs and China starts fighting back. But so far, China's been very calm about these things and talked about sending cases to the WTO and doing it the usual way, all of which takes years. So I personally am not worried about... I mean, it's, we have to know. I mean, the, the big thing is what does he do with NAFTA? So N NAFTA is one where he could say we're going to withdraw. And even that might be a negotiating tactic, so, so we don't know. So it's remarkable, this guy who said protection will make us strong. All he's done is put on a few bog-standard WTO legal protectionist devices that are all regulated. He hasn't gone like Nixon did and put 10% tariffs on everything. He hasn't uh, named China as a currency manipulator. There's all sorts of things he could have done. He said he would withdraw from NAFTA. He didn't. He's renegotiating it. So, so far, you know, it's very hard to move this trade train because it comes from a very complicated set of powerful vested interests. Richard, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, Take the time. Great. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.